We are in a series this summer called The Fruits of the Spirit, Fruit of the Spirit, singular. And I don't know about you, I'm already sick and tired of it, um, and I'll tell you why. Yesterday morning, got up about 6.30, got the girls into the Yaris. Stacy had already gone up, and um, my Yaris, but if you don't know, is a really small little Toyota. And because it's so small, it goes very fast, um, much less wind resistance. And so driving up early in the morning through St. Peter, and I zoom around this white SUV, and um, the SUV sort of followed me all the way up to Bloomington, where the softball tournament was for our oldest daughter, Genesis. And as I pull into the parking lot, the white SUV is still behind me. And I pull in, and it is the mother of our coach. And she looks over at me, and she goes, you sure drive fast there. And uh, let it go. Went through our day. And, and later in the day, one of the longtime members here at Crossview, he's the grandfather of one of uh, the players, he looks at me and he goes, hmm, I heard that you sort of need to hear your message again from last week. I'm like, what's, what's going on? And apparently I'd been told on for my speeding and I needed to hear my message on patience. So um, these messages are not for me, they're for you. Uh, <laughs> I say that in jest, but I also hope that this is an important series. Um, if you had to ask somebody, how do you measure spiritual maturity, you'd get a lot of answers. Well, how much scripture do you know? How often do you go to church? And there would be a whole list. And I would argue one of the best ways to measure spiritual maturity is not if you're on the church board, not even if you're leading a small group. I would say, are you demonstrating the fruit of the Spirit? Is the life of Jesus so real in you, so true in you, that what comes out has to be the fruit that can only come from Jesus Christ? And that's the whole point of this series. Right before, we're in Galatians 5, if you have your Bibles. And right before the fruit of the Spirit, Paul goes over this list that are called the works of the flesh. And it's plural because if you lean into the works of the flesh, and Paul is bringing the good news about Jesus Christ to Galatia, and two groups of people generally are coming to faith in Christ. Some of them are, are, are coming from sort of the pagan environment. And they're coming from this ideal that they could just sort of please themselves, do what they want. And there was a lot of immorality attached to that. And you look at the list and the works of the flesh and you see that. And if they lean into that, if they lean into that pagan life, it produces a relational world that is messed up and fractured and torn apart. There's also some coming from Judaism to faith in this new king, this Jesus Christ, and coming from Judaism, their understanding was it's all about the law. And Paul talks about the law a ton in Galatians. And their understanding is if we can really obey the law, then God will be pleased with us. And Paul says, that's never going to happen. And it's not the intent of the law. The intent of the law was to show us our need for God. And so Paul says there's a different way to freedom. Another word we see in Galatians time and time again. There's a different way to freedom, and it's this. This is the core message of Crossview, by the way. That there's a living God who came and lived an amazing life. He died for our sins, and he rose again, conquering death. And we can have the ultimate life now and the ultimate life in eternity by having a trusting relationship with that God. And when we put our faith and trust in that God, what happens is this beautiful, mystical thing is that that God comes to live inside of us. The presence of God comes to be inside of us. And it's called the Holy Spirit. 
And Paul in Galatians says, if we are truly relying on the presence of God inside of us, then the fruit that comes from us is just like this list. It's love and joy and peace and patience. Those are the ones we've talked about before. And so this morning, we're going to talk about two more, kindness and goodness. Um, I don't know about you. The, the first four I, I could sort of wrap my mind around. The, these two have been a little more challenging to study and try and understand because what we do is we take each fruit and we say, how would we define it? Biblically, what does it mean so that we can assess, is that the type of life that I'm living? Is that the type of fruit that is coming from my life? So we define it. Then we look at the opposite of it. Because I don't know about you, I often need to see the opposite because that's often the way I'm living. And then we talk about what's the counterfeit? If I'm living the life that is not relying on God's presence in me and the fruit of the Spirit coming out of me, what, what's the counterfeit God that I'm trusting that I need to turn from so that this fruit can truly come from me? And so we're going to do that this morning around these next two. Let's read Galatians 5, 22 and 23 again. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Kindness. It's from this word, krestos, this Greek word. And it can mean a number of different things. It can mean goodness in action, sweetness of disposition, gentleness in dealing with others, benevolence, kindness, affability. It's intriguing as we've looked at each fruit and as I'm looking at the list as it goes that the majority of times that these different words are used in Scripture, they're used about God. So we get what this character looks like when we look at God. Romans 2 verse 4 says this, Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Some of you just need to hear that, that part of that verse. Wonderfully kind and patient and tolerant God is with you. Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that this kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? The posture of kindness, where we start to get an understanding of kindness, is God looking at us. And it's the core of what it means to have a relationship with God. That God's kindness is to draw us from our sin into a loving relationship with him. That's what kindness is. It's used in that great passage, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4. Love is patient and kind. It's connected to what we talked about last week, this idea of persevering and waiting kindly, this fruit of how we sit in tough situations, which is patience. Kindness is sort of how we do it. How we wait when things aren't going our way. So let me give you this definition of kindness. Kindness is the ability to serve others practically. Kindness is the ability to serve others practically. Remember, we, we've talked the, the idea of freedom, because often we think freedom is to do what I want or get what I want. And we find in the way of Jesus that freedom is the ability to serve others, and in serving others and in having these good relationships, we actually find freedom. We find that things begin to look like our relational world makes sense. Kindness is the ability to serve others practically, often in ways which are costly or make us vulnerable. A level deeper could be our heart breaks by the very thing that breaks the heart of God. Kindness is the lens in seeing things differently. It's almost like active empathy. 
The very kindness of God that looks at us, we begin to see others through those same eyes. Zechariah 7.10 says this, Do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, or the poor, and let none of you devise evil against one another in your heart. That's the posture of kindness. Here's the opposite of it. And again, I, this preaching is for all of you, not for me at all. The opposite of kindness is this, loss of temper when things don't go your way. I know none of you struggle with this, right? Loss of temper when things don't go your way. Remember in uh, the early 80s in, in middle school, we lived for five years in central Illinois and um, living there, on, our church had 20 acres about half a block up the road and on Monday nights during the summer, they did this, this softball thing. I mean, a couple dozen teams is a great outreach deal. But I remember as a middle schooler and there's a big encouragement towards father-son involvement in it. Remember in middle school, noticing one of the leaders in the church, he was on the board, and each summer what I noticed about this guy is he was a jerk on the softball field, right? If something didn't go his way, he lost it every time. And even as a, a you know, fifth, sixth, seventh grade kid, I, I could look at that and say, there seems to be a disconnect because if we say that we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, then something should begin to change. The life that comes from us should look different. This last Wednesday night, we have a group of us that play over at Caswell in their Wednesday night volleyball league. And um, we were playing this team, and we won all three games. I just want you to know that. And um, it was a really good, tough battle, and at the end of the game, one of the other guys that goes to church here, Brandon, noticed the other team, and he said to me, he goes, man, they played really hard, and they lost really well. Like, that's kindness, right? Doesn't, doesn't mean that, you're, you know, that you just sit back and you take everything that, that people throw at you. There's a strength to it, I think. That we serve others in practical ways. Now listen, here's the counterfeit. Here's where a lot of us tend to go, and we think it's okay. Manipulation. The counterfeit of kindness is manipulation. You do good things to be noticed by others and to be given something in return. Deeper question would be this. If no one noticed or said anything about the good things that you do, would you keep on doing them? It's a tough one, isn't it? If no one gave you accolade for the good things you do, would you faithfully keep on practicing that kindness? Or what about this? I have a, probably mentioned this story before, but a friend when we lived in Philadelphia, and uh, he lived with us for a little while, and um, we were sitting on the porch one time just talking about faith. He wasn't a Christian, and he looked at me, and he goes, Brad, I, I think if I never come to faith that you'll still be my friend. And on the inside, I was like, wow, I, I want to say yes, but I don't know. Frederick William Faber said this. He says, kindness has converted more sinners than zeal, eloquence, and learning. How does kindness play out with the people who you're trying to point to Jesus Christ? You know, are you trying to beat them over the head with the Bible and how much you know about God? Or is the kindness is in God himself, in you, and in the way you relate to them. Kindness. 
The goodness. Goodness from, comes from this word agathos. It's uprightness of heart and life. Uprightness of heart and life. And I, I don't know about you. One of the lines I often use with my girls is we'll talk about someone or, or see somebody like, they're good people. They're good people. What, what do we mean when we use this word good? Because it's a very general term. It's not used a ton of, in Scripture, and the majority of times it's used, it's used about God. Like Psalm 23, verse 6 says, Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. This is not goodness like good and evil, that, that battle. It's, it's just a, it's a general term of something good, this uprightness of heart and life. And so I'd give you this definition. Goodness has to do with personal integrity. Goodness has to do with personal integrity. We speak truth boldly. We live consistently no matter where we are and who is around us. Our thoughts and words and deeds all align. That's a tough one. That my work life, my family life, my private alone life, that all of that would align with what I say I believe about Jesus Christ. Integrity. It's a word I think we need to hear. On Friday afternoon, I was sitting with a couple of guys from the church, and we, for some reason, were reminiscing about the 80s. Um, and we noticed that one of the things that happened in the 80s is the church really started to get a bad name. Uh, we talked about the Jim, Jimmy Baker scandal. There were a number of scandals, and and uh, it was an interesting sort of since then there's been this decline in respect for the church. And I think a lot of it has to do around the integrity that we show the world around us, this uprightness of heart and life. What does it mean to have integrity? A few years ago, Steve Weens, who you all have met, and uh, he's preached here a few times. We were in Arizona golfing with my mentor, and Steve had never met him. And three holes in, Steve and I were walking to our, our, our shots that we had hit, and Steve looks over at me and he goes, Carl is resolute. And we broke it down, and what he was saying is there's an integrity to the entirety of his life. There's nothing that just happens by chance. It's the whole of his life reflects and aligns with what he believes about Jesus Christ. Here's the opposite. The opposite is the inability to rejoice in the good things that happen to others. The inability to rejoice in the good things that happen to others. When we seem to lack that integrity, it destroys our view of the people around you. Remember, all of the, the, the lists in the fruit of the spirits and the whole of Galatians, it's about how they were relating to each other. This isn't just saying, hey, if you can get the fruit of the spirit down, then everybody will look at you and appreciate who you are. No. This is to say, if you are dependent on the life of Christ in you, how you relate to the people around you begins to reflect a completely different way of life. We would call it the kingdom of God. And here's the counterfeit. This one is uncomfortable for, probably for a lot of us. The counterfeit of goodness is obnoxiousness. You don't hear that word a lot from the pulpit, right? The counterfeit of goodness, where there's this integrity that goes to our life, is obnoxiousness. And here's why. It's when we're being truthful, but not loving. Maybe you're not a hypocrite, but the people around you would say you're a jerk. 
right? Like we, we think we got it together, but we act in a way that's contrary to the gospel. Maybe people do like the truth. They just don't like you. Because the fruit that's coming out of you is fruit of the flesh. It's the opposite of goodness. It's you getting your way. It's you treating people for your own advantage. It's you unhappy when someone else actually does well. And when you're feeling those things, it's the works of the flesh. The fruit of the Spirit begins to realign and reimagine the way that we relate to each other when we are fully dependent on the Spirit of God within us. So if you weren't here last week, one of the invitations I gave you, and I hope some of you did, and I want to say it again because I encourage you to do it, is ask some of the people in your relational world what type of character, what type of fruit comes out of you. Because like we just said, this, this whole list is all about our relationships. Ask some of the people, if, if you have employees that work for you, ask a couple of your employees what type of character comes out of you. Ask some of the people on your sports team. Ask the people in your neighborhood. Ask your kids what type of character comes out of you. Because this list, it's communal, it's relational, but it's also about spiritual maturity. Because of my dependence on the life of Christ that is in me, Submitting to the Spirit of God, the control that God can have in and through you, letting go of your control, giving control to God, are you becoming more loving? Are you becoming more joyful? Does your life demonstrate a greater amount of peace in your relationships? You may have had the worst news this week, but there is this, is there this patience, this perseverance that God is still God. When people say kindness and goodness are just part of who that person is, that's what it means to live out the fruit of the Spirit. Father, I pray, Lord, as we, as we seek to let you be in control of our lives, as we seek to let your love and your grace and all that you are be the thing that drives us, God. I pray that we would submit daily to your spirit and your will. And God, as that song that was sung right before we, we got into your word, that um, this isn't about five easy steps. This is about a day-in, day-out struggle to let go of our will and our kingdom and our desire and the works of our flesh, which we know produce pain and brokenness, and to depend on you and trust that the fruit that comes from depending on you is good and will give a freedom that is life-giving. Do that to your glory. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. <laughs>